Good morning, boys and girls. I'm Mr. David, and I want to talk to you about a couple of things real quick. Um, now, you need to put on your listening ears, because I'm going to quiz you as we talk. I'm going to ask some questions. And if you have an answer for me, make sure you raise your hand, and then I'll call on you. You can give me your answer. But I want to ask, does anyone know what worship is? What is worship? Praise. Praise. Anybody else have an answer? Yeah? Grayson? To celebrate somebody? Anybody else know what worship is? Those are good answers. Some of the other things that we think of when we old people think of worship is we think of singing. We think of praying. And we ultimately think of worshiping God, right? When we think of worship, we think of God. So this is a trick question, so be careful. But where do you think we're supposed to worship? Where are we supposed to worship? Yeah. Go ahead, Grayson. In the church, yeah. Go ahead. Anywhere. Anywhere. Everywhere. It's a good synonym. Anybody else know where we're supposed to worship? Those are also very good answers. Because, thankfully, there isn't just one place where we worship God. We can worship God everywhere and anywhere. And so I want to remember this one particular verse. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Doing something for the glory of God is another way that we worship. So worship can be giving God the praise that he deserves. Now this doesn't mean that just when you eat or drink, like I mentioned in the verse, but it also says whatever you do. So anything you do can be worship. And that means that anywhere you can be worshiping, not just in the church. So our actions, all the things that we do, they can be full of worship. And that means everything, all of our actions, all of our thoughts even. So whether it's listening to mom and dad and respecting them or sharing toys or using kind words when we talk to people, maybe talking to somebody about Jesus, all of those are worship. So I want to see how hard you guys are listening. What is worship. Okay. Singing and praying. Singing and praying? Yeah. Praise. And praise? Talking about, Talking about Jesus. Praising for God? Praising for God. Good job, guys. Those are very good answers. Where can we worship? Yeah. The church. In the church? Everywhere? Everywhere? Anywhere? With your family. Those are all very good answers. So when? When can we worship the Lord? Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. You got to get another good synonym? Every time there is. All the time. There is no limit on when we can worship the Lord. So what are some things that you could do today that could bring glory to God, that could be worship to God? 
Helping people. Eating lunch. Eating lunch. Amen. <laughs> yeah? Praying. Praying. Yeah? Yeah, just worshiping. All the things that we can do. We can do those today. You don't have to wait until another day. You don't have to wait until next Sunday. You can do all these things to worship even now. So remember, boys and girls, as you leave the church even today, you can keep worshiping the Lord all through the week in all these little ways that we talked about every time, everywhere. Thank you guys very much. And you can run back to your seats now. I appreciate your great answers. If you would, uh, we're going to read these two verses together. And so speak them aloud with me as I lead through it. This is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, we are a very churched congregation here. Um, A lot of us were saved at a young age, and so we've heard many, many sermons on uh, on this topic in our lifetimes, on these verses. Um, These two verses have been taught so many different ways um, that even in my journey of faith so far, I can only imagine how many times you may have heard uh, some of these verses taught. So what we're going to do is we're going to shake the Etch-A-Sketch. We're going to wipe down the dry erase board. We're going to edit, select all, delete off of your document. Anything that you've heard about these verses, and let's enter into them for the first time this morning. That's tough. But take a moment to just kind of debrief yourself And pretend like we are reading through Romans together for the first time. And so we've read all through Romans 1 through 11, and we're just getting into verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. When we first get to this word, therefore, um, we've run into it a few times already in in what Paul has said. Um, Every time that he uses therefore, it's a key word. But this, therefore, may be the biggest, therefore. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the therefore, therefore? Therefore is is Paul's way of connecting things. Um, And in this particular instance, he is saying that because of Romans 1 through 11, we respond. Because of everything, therefore, brothers and sisters, because of what God has done, we must respond. And God has revealed himself in the gospel. And that's what Paul's been unpacking in chapters 1 through 11. He's built it up in Romans so far. And if you're in a home group, which I hope that you are, um, and you're familiar with the four key ingredients of the gospel. We've been talking about ways to teach the gospel and ways to remember it as we talk about it, because we should be talking about it. So to break it down into four ways to help you remember the gospel. The first of the key ingredients is God. The second is man, or mankind. The third is Christ. The fourth is response. To tell the gospel, we must begin with God. God who is creator, who is just, 
and also gracious. And we then must speak of mankind, the created who choose self and pride over God's plan. And because of the ruin brought to us by sin and death, we must speak of Christ, the man who is God, whose life, death, resurrection, redeem us from the death and reconcile us to God. We can't stop there. We, we must respond to this good news. And so we repent and we believe and we trust the power of God's Holy Spirit that will dwell within us to bring us closer to the image of God. Because we were created to be that in the first place. And then sometime soon, Christ will return and make all things right. And God will reveal his glory to the whole world. If you think about it, the only real response to the gospel that's consistent with the gospel itself is to yield oneself fully to God and grow into a new life of holiness. So please look at this with me. With you. Look at this with me in your Bibles. Um, although we make a lot of things available on the screen, I want to encourage you to have a Bible, a physical Bible in your hand, whether it be via iPod, Blackberry, iPod Touch, um, or the actual text with the pages that you turn. Um, please remember to bring one with you when you come, even though it's on the screen. Uh, and bring two if you're married, so you can both have one. Uh, and read the text as it's being preached. Uh, I can promise you that Brad will not be offended if you are reading your, your scripture while he is preaching. Um, because the Spirit will certainly use both to impact you. And so you can also mark things in your Bible. You want to read later, make notes about things that have been taught. Um, so look at these things. As I'm talking through all these verses, please have your Bibles open and look at them. Um, so Paul says, therefore, therefore, because of God's mercies, because of the gospel, we present our bodies as living sacrifices, for this is our spiritual worship. So let me point out at the beginning right here uh, about bodies. Uh, this is a pretty heavy statement. And yes, it does imply that we're supposed to give all that we are, every secret corner of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our will, but it also means we are to present our body. We should be good stewards of this body, for it is also the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the means by which we serve the rest of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church. So as a side note, uh, as a tangent, but also an important one, are you taking care of your body? And this hits home for me in regard to what I eat and drink. Um, and Paul even deals with this uh, at the church at Corinth, as I mentioned to the kids, that whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And that has to do with our bodies. So this picture that we have is one that indeed is to offer all that we are, our whole self, as a sacrifice, alive with new life. See, the Greek structures of these words, it doesn't really reflect literally living sacrifice, but rather a sacrifice that is alive, holy, and pleasing to God. And so the descriptive words in the Greek are all together, and you can read it this way, offer your body as a sacrifice that is living, holy, and pleasing to the Lord. So when you read it that way, it feels a little different. The sacrifice that we are called to give is not one that is destructive or of loss, but rather one that demands fullness of life. And that's only found through Christ. 
And thankfully, as we have built up from Romans 1 through 11, we have heard that we are alive. And we are alive in Christ. So this is actually a positive, dynamic statement. Not a laborious or negative one asking us to cut something off, but rather we are to simply live in the truths of the gospel. Or we find ourselves dead in our sin, but made alive in Christ. And it's also important to note that it is not that we will become holy and acceptable as we offer ourselves, but rather we are holy and acceptable because of his mercy in Christ. And thus our obedience, or lack thereof, does not make our worship acceptable or unacceptable. God has made us holy. And now we can join with Christ and his perfect worship of the Father. And we are acceptable. And we are pleasing when we worship. Let that sink in. You don't have to come and do something specific. You don't have to sing in a perfect way. You don't have to give a certain amount. You don't have to be anything to be acceptable to to God, but rather Christ has made you already acceptable and is equipping you to thus do those things, to give and to sing and to worship. Sometimes we don't remind ourselves of that. There is only one offering that is really acceptable to God, and it is not ours. It's Jesus himself. And as we join with that offering, as we join with Christ's voice, God is telling us through Paul that because of what God has done in Christ and is doing in the Spirit, our only response is worship. But, uh, but certainly, uh, as we look at this verse, and yes, we are still in verse 1, and I'm going to cover the whole chapter today, you can see that uh, the words that became a focus for me as I prayed over this passage are... You know, being the one who is the, the leader of, of worship on Sunday mornings, I want to take time to make sure that we all have the same biblical understanding uh, in our minds as we present ourselves to God of what worship is. So this phrase, spiritual worship, spiritual act of worship, translated reasonable service in the KJV, uh, this is worship that just makes sense in light of who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus. What we do in response to the gospel, it makes sense. Because <laughs> there's a feeling that, that Paul is calling this our logical worship, if you were to look at the KJV. And the Greek word translated spiritual or reasonable is the root for our word logic. And so our logical response to God is to give our bodies to him. And really nothing less than all of who we are makes any sense. So the logical model that we have here is proclamation and then praise. We have revelation and then response. We have Romans 1 through 11 and then Romans 12 through 16. So this word that translates as worship or service does need a definition. And this is what I've been most challenged by this week and actually had the most fun also studying this week. So we started this time by hearing our kids talk about uh, some of these things. And I'm, I'm glad that we are modeling some of what biblical worship is in our homes, here in the church. But I'm going to lay it all on the table here. I'm, I'm going to 
even if you think you have a definition of worship in your mind. Again, let's shake the Etch-a-Sketch. Let's wipe down the dry erase board and enter into this definition of worship uh, for the first time. Pastor Mark Driscoll uh, from Marcel Church in Seattle teaches that worship begins with the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of image. Uh, the fact that we've been created in the image of God. So what this means is the God who is three in one is continuously outpouring communication and love and friendship and joy between all the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're in unceasing relationship to each other. And so recall the symbol of the Trinity. All the parts are connected with no break. They're always pouring into the next part. And the three persons are always bringing glory to the other. They're worshiping, if you will. And we are created in this image, this continuously outpouring image. And so Harold Best defines worship in this way. He says that we are created continuously outpouring. Note that this is not that we are created to be continuous outpourers, nor does it imply that we were created to worship Simply, for this would suggest that God is an incomplete person whose need for something outside himself, worship, completes his sense of himself. It might not even be safe to say that we are created for worship because the inference can be drawn that worship is a capacity that can be separated out and eventually relegated to one of several categories of being. But I believe it is strategically important, therefore, to say that we are created continuously outpouring. We are created in that condition At that instant, the image of God. So worship is not merely an aspect of who we are or a thing that we do, but it is the very essence of our being as God's image bearers. This means that all of our life is ceaseless worship. All of it. We are continuously outpouring. So let's think about what this would look like. Because sometimes... We find it easier to understand something if we understand what it is not. And so the opposite of worship is idolatry. Idolatry is not worship. And surely you're thinking that, you know, I don't have any wooden or golden idols on my mantle or coffee table. And if I do, they're just for decorative purposes. And I certainly don't pray to something other than God. And I definitely don't give my money to any sort of deity other than God. And I definitely don't give my time to anything other than my Bible, my family, and my church family. But perhaps uh, we remember Romans 1, 18 through 32. Way back in the beginning um, of Romans, Paul unpacks this comparison between worship and idolatry for us. And in the midst of this little section, he says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Worshipping the creative thing rather than the creator. That lie is idolatry. The opposite of worship. Sometimes, however, it's not a huge polar opposite thing for us, but rather more subtle. So, making a good thing into an ultimate thing. That's idolatry. When we make marriage, sex, children, health 
financial stability, when we make those things our treasure, the thing towards which we're constantly outpouring our time and our energy and our thoughts and our focus and our money, it becomes the thing that we worship. And only Jesus is worthy of that level of outpouring. At the apex of creation, God made man and woman. And the human body and our own selves, these become the most common and most dangerous idols, stealing the worship that is rightly the creator's. So sexual addictions and pornography and emotional affairs, these are acts of worship in which we've made the creative thing a body into a lowercase g, God. And even eating disorders and abuse of cosmetic surgery, these all reflect the fact that deeper in us is a worship problem. The created has become more important than the creator. And so as we seek and smash our idols by the grace of God, our lives are transformed into acts of worship to God's glory and our joy and others' good as we enjoy and steward created things rather than deifying them and love people rather than use them. There are many contexts for this constant outpouring. Uh, Many contexts for our worship. And we talked about that as well with our kids. Um, And in this chapter of Romans, Paul gives us different contexts for our obedient response to God's glory. And so we worship in these ways. Corporately. Corporate worship. Worship together in a gathering with other believers. Uh, This is essential. Essential to our growth personally, our joy collectively, and our witness culturally. It is essential that we uh, meet together to sing of God's praise together so that we might grow and so that we might have joy and share in each other's joys and so that the world might see what we're doing and take note of the fact that we would meet consistently to worship a God who has revealed himself, that we would give of our time and money to something that is not our home and our car and our future. And so we need the body. In order to grow, we need fellowship in order to really share in joy. And the world needs to see the love of the Father expressed through the Son as we live it together. And this happens in our corporate worship. What we cannot avoid if we are to worship God rightly are the dynamics of the gospel. So our corporate response to God's glory will reflect elements of the gospel. And I hope that's something that you can recognize from the things that we do here at Grace when we gather. Um, We sing of God, who he is, how he's revealed himself. We sing of and pray and contemplate our own sin and confess it. And then we sing of Christ. We, We teach of Christ. We speak of Christ. And hopefully we all respond as well by singing and by praying and by telling and discipling and living out the gospel. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a picture of what a corporate gathered response to God can look like. So in Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 17, and you can turn there if you're following along in your Bibles. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this particular passage includes praise, proclamation, service, participation, sacrifice, submission. And these are all synonyms for worship. So not just praise, not just preaching, but all of the above. And there's more than that. When you consider the ways that we worship corporately here, remember that all of these elements, all these things that we do have been practiced by our brothers and sisters, by the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us from the beginning of the church and even before that when the Israelites worshiped God. And so we have preaching. We have the sacraments of baptism and communion. We have prayer. We have reading scripture. We give financially. We have singing and music. And all of these things are directly tied to the gospel. And there are ways that we pour ourselves out toward God. But in case we focus too much on the things that we do when we gather corporately to worship, hear these words. We need to remind ourselves over and over that the focus of Sunday worship must be upon the living Christ among us. In truth, if Christ were bodily present, we could see him with more than our soul's eyes, all our worship would become intentional. If Christ stood on our platforms, we would bend our knees without asking. If he stretched out his hands and we saw the wounds, our hearts would break. We would confess our sins and weep over our shortcomings. If we could hear his voice leading the hymns and songs, we too would sing heartily. The words would take on meaning. The Bible reading would be lively. Meaning would pierce to the marrow of our souls. If Christ walked our aisles, we would hasten to make amends with that brother or sister to whom we have not spoken. We would volunteer for service. The choir loft would be crowded. If we knew Christ would attend our church Sunday after Sunday, the front seats would feel fastest. Believers would arrive early. Offering plates would be laden with sacrificial but gladsome gifts. Prayers would concentrate our attention. Yet, the truth is that Christ is present through his Holy Spirit in our church. And it is we who must develop eyes to see and ears to hear him. Another context for our continuous, continuous outpouring of worship is the individual context. So let me ask a series of questions and let these sink in. What occupies your mind? What do you think about daily? How often do we speak of the gospel to our own hearts? When we are by ourselves, we can respond to God's incredible love and mercy with tears, with prayer, with song, with meditation on the scripture, so do we? Another context for our worship is the home. And that's right. You were worshiping uh, before you got in the car today. 
Your attitude toward your family portrays your worship of God or your idolatry of your own pride. The ways you shepherd your home, men, are ways that you worship. Do you love your wife? Do you tell her that in ways that she will receive it? Do you love your children? Do they know that? How often do you lead your family in worship, men? My job as worship leader is actually your job when you examine the biblical terms of leading worship. The home is a little church. And husbands, fathers, you are equipped and you are empowered to be the pastor of your home by the power of the Holy Spirit. So pour yourself out toward that. And ladies, you are empowered and equipped to respect your husband and care for your children, modeling a life that fully belongs to God. And single friends and students, you are called to worship God in your homes by submitting to those in leadership over you, by living in such a way that you can show hospitality, and by modeling trust and patience and waiting on what the Lord may have in store for you. So these are our contexts for worship. And there is another context for worship, for our continuous outpouring, our home group, which is also a kind of little church where we can all model all of the ways we worship corporately on a smaller scale and all the ways we worship individually and with our families on a larger scale. It's a nice little middle ground. And believe it or not, another context for our worship of God is the workplace. And there are ways to worship God while at work that are simple and beautiful ways to point to the truths of the gospel of Jesus. And so you may be thinking, this is getting out of hand. Uh, We're supposed to worship God everywhere. Uh, And basically not just at church on Sunday. And yeah, this is pretty crazy. Because in fact, it's pretty much going against everything that our flesh would, would say. All the things that ourselves would naturally want to do apart from the Holy Spirit. It's totally going against what the world would say. The world wants us to compartmentalize all of our lives. That we worship in this space We go to work in this space. We have our playtime space. We have our family space. And they're all compartmentalized. And that's how you handle your life. That is not the picture that we have of full, abundant life in Christ. And that's why verse 2 is so important. So we're finally moving on. Uh, Rather than letting the patterns of the world shape our thoughts shape our actions, influence our minds, rather than letting the culture of today turn our eyes where it will toward whatever shiny object or new toy we're supposed to desire. We, the people of God's covenant, are instead to let the gospel of Jesus transform us from the inside out, breaking any mold the world could press around us, breaking every bond of sin that could potentially harass us, and severing every chain of pride that pulls at our hearts. We are to renew our minds in the gospel. And this happens as we pour ourselves out toward God, responding to the truths of the gospel in our gathered worship, in our home worship, and in our individual worship. So what should worship look like? I'm glad that we asked that. And God completely anticipated our question. By giving us Romans 12, 3 through 21. So please stand together uh, as we read this. And since I printed the wrong translation, I will turn and read with you 
Um, but I will just read this as you uh, can see it. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. And if it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. And if it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You may be seated. Ray Ortland, who I've been using to do some of the home group stuff, um, he goes so far as to say that when their lives demonstrate real love, this is what Christians look like. This is how we continuously outpour our own selves toward God in response to the gospel. This is worship. So in verses 3 through 8, we find gifts to individuals. Gifts that you may or may not have through the Holy Spirit. And if you have these gifts, use them. There are certain parts of the body here at Grace that are not functioning how they could be. And it's because those who are gifted are not pouring out their whole lives to God, but rather just a portion of their time that they can control. But if you're gifted to lead or to teach or be hospitable, please talk to me or one of the elders so that we can encourage you and point you in the direction of the part of the body that God has equipped you to serve. But if you're looking at this list and you're thinking, none of that really sounds like me. Um, then be sure to read verses 9 through 21 again. Because everyone, all of us, are called to love in these ways. All of us can worship God by doing these things. And in fact, Paul is expecting it of the church. 
this very last section is a little tough to translate, even for some of the commentators who are masters of the Greek and the Hebrew. Uh, This isn't a phrase that was very common back then, and it's not really common now either, I don't think, uh, but uh, heaping burning coals on the head of an enemy uh, is not... It's not necessarily as literal as it sounds. Um, Everybody seems to agree that ultimately the goal of this phrase, the intention behind it, is making the conscience burn with shame. So whoever is doing evil to you, don't return their evil, but do something that will make them regret their evil by loving them. This is very similar to what Paul has said in Romans 11 um, about part of our place in salvation is making Israel jealous by loving the Messiah and loving the Jewish people. We should live in such a way that they become jealous of Yeshua, of Jesus. And we should live in such a way that our love uh, shames those who would hate, those who would take and prioritize evil and revenge. Our love for them will shame them through the Spirit. So... (laughs) Aren't we grateful for this beautiful picture of what it means to worship? Um, I would ask you to read through this chapter again in your home uh, with your family. Read through it again with your home group um, and pray about how you are worshiping at home and in the workplace and individually and corporately. Are you remembering the presence of Christ that is with you wherever you go? Do you joyfully anticipate meeting with the body for worship on Sundays. Because we are continuously, continuously pouring ourselves out towards something in worship. And Tim Keller puts it this way. He says that if we don't live for Jesus, we will live for something else. If we are not worshiping Jesus, we are pouring ourselves out to something else. If we live for career and we don't do well, It may punish us all of our lives, making us feel like a failure. If we live for our children and they don't turn out perfect, and just in case you're wondering, they won't, uh, we could be, we could be in absolute torment, feeling like a worthless parent. But if Jesus is your center and Lord and you fail him, he will forgive you. Your career can't die for your sins. Whatever you base your life on, You have to live up to that. And Jesus is the one Lord you can live for who died for you, who breathed his last for you and for his church. So let us respond to the gospel and worship daily as a sacrifice made alive, pouring ourselves out, worshiping with all that we are, everything about us. Let us worship Yeshua, Let us worship Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And let our prayer be this, as we pour ourselves out to Jesus, all that we are, all of our thoughts, our time, our energy. Christ, shield me today against wounding. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth 
of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me and Christ in the ear that hears me. Amen.